Monster Kids to episode 27 of Monster Kid Radio, your podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. And this week on Monster Kid Radio, we definitely are talking about a classic. We're talking about the king of the monsters, Godzilla. And we're going to be doing it with Chris McMillan, who is from The Shadow Over Portland, the website, the premier website of the Pacific Northwest, telling everybody about the latest horror news in the Portland, Oregon and surrounding area. Oh, and he'll be joining me, Derek M. Cook, your host and producer of Monster Kid Radio. To find out more about Chris's website, head over to shadowoverportland.blogspot.com or go to our website at monsterkidradio.net. You'll find a link in our show notes to his website. You'll also find a link to the website for the band Daikaiju, who is the opening and closing number this week on Monster Kid Radio. The song that you're hearing right now is Son of Daikaiju from their self-titled album, Daikaiju. It appears on this episode of Monster Kid Radio. With permission of the band, you'll hear the song in its entirety at the end of this episode. This is the second week that Daikaiju has appeared on Monster Kid Radio. And speaking of other bands who have appeared on the show in the past, the Outer Space Heaters just announced on Monday, the 26th, on their Facebook page, Attention Cosmonauts, to celebrate our winning the Delhi Magazine's Band of the Month, we're making our debut EP complete with two bonus tracks available for free for the next two weeks. There will be a link to this in the show notes as well, but it's outerspaceheaters.bandcamp.com slash album slash desolate-surf. They appeared back in episodes 7 and 8 when we talked about The Day the Earth Stood Still with Rich Chamberlain. Now, they're not listed there yet because this part of the website is still under construction, but there is a link. It's titled Bands and Songs. If you click on it, it's going to tell you all the different bands and their songs and their websites that have appeared on Monster Kid Radio in the past. It will be in alphabetical order by name of the band, and then after that, it will be in alphabetical order of the song. There will be links to their websites as well as the episodes in which they appear this will eventually get completely up to date here soon. I'm hoping within uh, sometime next month. Something that's happening by the end of this month, though, is the deadline for the contest for the Matango mini bust from sculptor Tom Bigler. We'll talk about that here at the end of the show. Why don't we go ahead and get into our main discussion with Chris McMillan about Godzilla, part one of our discussion right after this. It's 1966. The space race is on. The Cold War is heating up. And giant monsters are destroying Japan. Dai Kaiju Attack. The serialized giant monster story. Presented free every week on DaikaijuAttack.com and SDSullivan.com. Become a member of the Daikaiju Attack group on Facebook. Join the action today. So if you live in the Portland area and you want to know what's going on on the horror scene, the website you need to go to is the Shadow Over Portland, shadowoverportland.blogspot.com. Go check that out. But in the meantime, listen to the man behind the Shadow Over Portland, Chris McMillan, joining me here on another episode of Monster Kid Radio. Welcome back to the show, sir. Thank you, Derek. How are you doing? I'm good, man. How have things been going? Oh, they've been going pretty good. They've been going all right. Right on. Well, Chris was on the very first episode of Monster Kid Radio, which was put out, what was it, back in May? 
I think is when we mm-hmm. did that. Yeah, and you also heard him uh, briefly when we crashed King Kong. Okay, heads up. Little secret about Monster Kid Radio. I oftentimes record these things out of order. If you follow me personally on Facebook, and sometimes I mention this in the Facebook groups as well, you'll see me post just randomly, hey, I've got some free time. Who wants to record for Monster Kid Radio? Well, the conversation that I had with Chris about Godzilla was actually the third recording that I've done with him. He appeared in episode one. And then we also crashed King Kong when it played at the Hollywood Theater here in Portland a couple of months ago. I recorded that, but it's not been released. You have not missed that episode. I'm actually planning a big King Kong-themed series of releases, maybe a full month if I can get enough content going. Chris and I talked about King Kong. I've got Stephen D. Sullivan. He's going to be talking about Son of Kong with me down the line. I've got some plans for some other things with Scott Morris. So, you know, that'll be coming. You'll hear that soon. So let's get back to this. Oh, the other thing, I have seen Pacific Rim by now. Just so you know, I'm a good fan. Don't take away my Monster Kid card. All right, back to Godzilla. You know, we're going to go from King Kong to another big monster movie. We got to go to Godzilla. Oh, yeah. You you can't have one without the other, right, Yin and Yang? Yeah, pretty much. Well, they did get them together. I did did catch that over at the Hollywood last weekend. Oh, yeah, how was it? Versus Godzilla. Well, maybe we'll talk about that a little later. Let's go into (laughs) Godzilla. I I mean... (laughs) That, that movie, I was just, I'm sure I'd seen it at some point when I was younger, and I'm watching it now going, oh, my God. Well, okay, what? we'll get to that, because I yeah. want to talk about that one, too, just briefly as well. So, Godzilla, okay. though, the king of the monsters, undisputed, mm-hmm. probably. Oh, and, yeah. And Chris was the one that wanted to talk about Godzilla, because we just had Pacific Rim come out, so Kaiju mm-hmm. are kind of on the pop culture radar, and you've seen Pacific Rim at this point. I, unfortunately, as of this recording, have not yet. I was supposed to see it last weekend, but things just kind of went a little crazy for us. How is it? I, I enjoyed it. I mean, I, I gotta be honest, the script is just a mess of cliches strung together. You know, you've got characters that are basically doing the same thing they did in Top Gun back in the 80s, you know? conflicts and all that. It's like, oh my god, you kick. But once the monsters and the robots get it on screen, whoa. It's amazing. It is so much fun to watch. Yeah? Um, oh yeah, it's, it's, you know, everybody looks at giant robots right now and sees the Transformers with the, you know, spinning around camera and all that, you know, crazy stuff happening. This is, you actually know what's going on. It's not like they're trying to hide something with camera work and stuff, you know, or, or just make it seem more, you know, intense with, you know, swinging around the camera and shaking it and all that. No, this is right there. You know what's going on. I was wondering about that. Like if we were going to have troubles kind of tracking the action, it sounds like Del Toro and company really tried to make it so that while it was exciting and dynamic and moving around, we could still follow what's going on. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, it, even scenes where, you know, monsters are throwing the robots, it's not, you know what's happening. You can see it. The shots are set up so you can watch it instead of try to try to pick up what's happening because you only see part of it on the screen. I mean, the Hong Kong battle is just beautiful. It's a big wad of multicolored cotton candy for your eyes. <laughs> Fantastic, man. Well, maybe I'll see it this weekend. I, I do need to see it theatrically. Just oh, got to find time to make it happen. Yeah. I mean. I don't, I don't know if you want to see it in 3D or not. That, you know, to me, that doesn't really matter. But you need to see it on a big screen. Oh, yeah. That's, that's in the works. Maybe this weekend. <laughs> Maybe this well, weekend. We'll see. Hope, yeah, hopefully. Yeah, definitely. So, but, but, you know, we wouldn't have Pacific Rim if we didn't have Godzilla, which 
I mean, 1954, one of the mm-hmm. classic monster movies. I mentioned it on a previous episode, you know, one of the top 20 best monster films of all time, I believe. It was my number three pick when we did our – was it my number three? Or, I think it might have been my number four pick, actually. Kind of a, I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. When we did our, our top three. Bouncing yeah. back and forth on that. Understandable yeah, because right. it's an amazing movie. It's great. I mean, I think Kyle over at the Kaiju Cast, or one of his guests over at the Kaiju Cast, when they covered the film, kind of likened it to Frankenstein in terms of the art and the craft behind it and how dark and, this, and the shadows and the cinematography and all that. And I think it really does hold up. It's not just a giant monster movie. This is an effective, chilling horror movie as well. Mm-hmm. Definitely. The second destruction scene where he's actually going through Tokyo, that's some that's some intense stuff. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the big spectacle of it. And then you have the one, and we'll get to this, I'm sure. Yeah. You know, I'm just going to say it now. There's the one scene with the mother and the two kids. Oh, God, Soon yeah. we'll be joining your father. Mm-hmm. Oh, what a gut punch. Oh, yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, you've got guys, you know, they use the atomic breath thing, but he's, you know, instead of melting a, a tank or something, he's burning people. You know, there's a scene where you just see everybody collapse under this, and you know they're toast. Yeah, it's it's pretty pretty rough, pretty brutal. It's an emotional movie, but mm-hmm. it's also got the spectacle and, and the giant monster. And holy cow, how awesome would it have been to see this on the big screen for the first time with a fresh audience who had no idea what they were in for? Man, uh, oh man, yeah, that would have been that. Well, you you do know, I think they're showing it up in Kelso next weekend. You know, I heard that, and I don't know if this episode will be going out. Uh, actually, I heard that at the Shadow Over Portland. Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know if this episode will be going out in time or not, but you know what? I'll make sure that I'll, I'll mention that uh, on the episode that goes out right before so people can go see it. And it is the actual Japanese version. It's not the Americanized one. Which I don't have any problems with. My problem with the Americanized version, well, there's a couple. But the big one is it takes away the horror and goes for the spectacle. It doesn't have that emotional gut punch, you know, the hospital scene isn't as drawn out and isn't as wrenching. There's a sequence in there where the, where, um, Emiko, the, the heroine is with a doctor and they're running a guider counter over a kid and just the doctor looks at her, shakes his head and you know, the kid's dying radiation poisoning right there. They show that in the opening of the Americanized version and it just doesn't have the impact because you don't know what's going on. You know, you don't know that Godzilla was radioactive and spreading it all over and, and this kid's going to die. So, you know, there, there's that little problem. You know, it, they took the big stomping stuff out of, you know, into the, out of the movie, put it in their version and wrapped it around, you know, Raymond Burr. True. Now, when I say I don't have a problem with it, don't get me wrong. I think the... Uh you know, the Japanese Godzilla is a superior film in terms of the emotional uh, storytelling here, kind of wrenching those feelings out of you and just, just bringing you along for this incredible roller coaster. I like Godzilla King of the Monsters for what it is. Like I said, I don't have a problem with it. And oh, yeah. as somebody who kind of studies film, I think it's a fascinating example of what happens when Americans get a hold of a Japanese film or a, a foreign <laughs> product and try to insert their own scenes. And, and I look at it and I look at the Raymond Burr scenes and I'm kind of fascinated with how they insert this story into this existing footage and how they edit things around and all that. Yeah, it's a little hokey when they have Raymond Burr talking to a character whose back is to the camera that's supposed to be like Serizawa or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's a little hokey. You can kind of tell that it's yeah, not the yeah. same guy. But, you know, I still dig it. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of fun in that one. There really is. It, it's My biggest problem, though, and, and it's just me, is 
Raymond Burr's character has the most unfortunate name out there. Because <laughs> every time he says, yes, I'm Steve Martin, you expect him to go, and I am a wild and crazy guy. <laughs> a wild and crazy guy? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, what are you going to do? When I first, I first saw the Americanized version, I, I had not seen I had not seen the Japanese one. Um, you know, I saw it as a kid down in California, and I thought it was a great movie. You know, wow, wonderful. Then, of course, you do some reading, and you find out, well, this is an allegory for, you know, nuclear war and all of that. And I'm like, really? What? Right. Um, and then, like, you know, five, six years ago, I finally came across a DVD copy of Gojira. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Gojira. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. And, wow, I mean, you know, I still love the Americanized version, but you're right. It, there's more to the Japanese version. True, true. Uh, you know, one thing about the Steve Martin character, I think the filmmakers recognized that as being an issue because when Godzilla 1985 came around and Raymond Burke came mm -hmm. back to playing the same character, my understanding, and I'd have to go back and watch it again to find out, to confirm, they don't refer to him as Steve Martin. Yeah, in that version, because obviously, you know, in, in the '80s now, everybody knows who Steve Martin is, and mm -hmm. you know, so. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the original Godzilla's got so much emotional depth to it. It's still a, a stomping good time. Oh it's, yeah, it's still scary. It's it's, uh, it's hell in some spots. So the Godzilla film you mentioned it was kind of born out of what happened to Japan during World War II. Yeah, and and I don't want to get too dark and deep and depressing here, but. You know, horror movies a lot of times are a societies or, or a group of people's way to deal with a tragedy, a societal fear, things like that. Mm -hmm. You see that with the zombie movies. You see that with some vampire films. And obviously with Godzilla, I don't think you could make a movie like Godzilla anywhere other than Japan, the 50s, after World War II, where you're still dealing with what happened with the atomic bombs. There's a lot to read into the film. Fortunately, oh, yeah. I don't feel like the movie ever gets too heavy-handed. No, no. I What I really thought was interesting, though, watching it again, was um, the scientist. Uh, uh, Sarazawa? His name. Sarazawa. Yeah, yeah, he's created this device, the oxygen destroyer. Oh, spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fine. I, no, think, I, I think, think almost it's... everybody's seen Godzilla. So. Yeah. But anyway, you know, he's just, he's created this oxygen destroyer and, you know, he, he was trying to find a useful purpose for it, but he realizes once he shows it to everybody, it's going to be weaponized. And you wonder if the filmmakers were looking at the people who discovered how to split the atom and, and create a source of energy had the same feeling, you know, hey, We've done this. We, we've got an energy supply. Oh, and now someone's turned it into a bomb. Great. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's that internal struggle he's having. You know, he knows he can, he knows this creation can be used for good, but once it's used for this one good purpose, people are going to want it for less humanitarian reasons, let's say. Sure. Sure. Now, one could argue that if you're creating something called the Oxygen Destroyer, I yeah. can't think of very many humanitarian things you can do with something called that. But, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, you're right. There is that whole, we just did something amazing with science, and now, whoa, we yeah, shouldn't have done that. Yeah. Yeah, so, and, and 
it came off like a like he was studying oxygen and this was just an offshoot that just happened you know he just found out he just discovered this in, in the course of his work and now he's like what do i do with it right you know i can't let it out it was an interesting part of the story that i think got lost you know in the american version of course oh, yes. but oh, yeah. it's it's yeah, it's, it's an interesting look at, you know, science scientists who do great things only to see them turned against humanity instead of used for humanity. Sure, sure. I mean, fortunately for Japan, that's they had it. So <laughs> otherwise Godzilla would have not have been stopped, mm -hmm. and, you know, yeah, well. uh, that sort of thing. So, but, uh, <laughs> uh, which is another <laughs> another touching scene in this movie. I mean, we, we talk, I talked about the emotional roller coaster you go on. I mean, there's some things that happen in this film, especially towards the end with the Oxygen Destroyer, with Sarazawa. It's just mm -hmm. like, wow, that's not what I expected from a man in a rubber suit movie. Yeah, no, that's true. You just kind of go, well, it makes sense for his character to do that, but wow, that's dark. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, the movie doesn't start with Godzilla just showing up and, and stomping all over the place. I mean, there's some lead up here. There's some mystery. There's a, a missing fishing boat. Mm -hmm. There's there's reports of seeing this giant thing on an island that I believe the islanders are calling Gojira or Godzilla. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the yeah, name they've given. Like, some sort of ancient sea god comes up that... You know, they need to appease and, and don't piss off because if you do, well, Godzilla is going to run roughshod all over your island. And you know, there's a lot of mystery here and a lot of what is really going on. Now, as a modern audience, obviously, we're watching the movie and we're just waiting for it. We know Godzilla is going to show up. But oh, yeah. I, I feel like Shiro Honda, the director, and the other filmmakers did a really so. good job of mm – -hmm. Yeah, just did a really good job of building that suspense and not giving away too much and not showing their hand too early. Oh yeah, I mean you know you know I mean there's glimpses you get a shot of his foot during that storm, but you never really see him until well, well into the film. Yeah, I mean they're on the island and they do see Godzilla, and in what I think is probably one of the most unfortunate first appearances of a monster ever, it's the <laughs> hand puppet. Uh huh. It's the hand puppet hand popping over the mountain while. Still impressive. It's not nearly as pre as impressive as a big Godzilla shot. It oh, yeah. does look a little. Oh man, I don't want to sound like a heretic here. Hokey. Yeah. Well, if you notice the picture he took um, when he shows it to everybody, it's actually a drawing. It's not even the hand puppet. Yeah. Yeah. So I think they even knew. Well, maybe we can make it look better. Right. Right. Well, and the uh, the actress, the human actress, sold it. And I oh, think yeah. that's one of the, the secrets or, uh, to the success of this movie, or maybe not even a secret, the human actors interacting with this giant monster, they sell it. You know, you, mm -hmm. got the, you got the Islanders running around when Godzilla shows up. You've got everybody reacting to this thing, this, this Godzilla, this man in a rubber suit, in such a way that even though the hand puppet taken out of context looks a little hokey, in the scene it still works. Oh, yeah. I mean, and even you know, I mean, to the Americanized version, I think Raymond Burr even reacts to it in a decent way. So, Yeah, no, I mean, I think they really did a good job of selling it. I mean, everybody in both versions really, really sold the idea that this was actually a big, giant lizard. Yeah. yeah. Well, With, monster. Yeah, you know, missing dinosaur, yeah, something. Something yeah. that was awakened thanks to these atomic tests that were going on. 
I can't remember because I, I haven't watched the Godzilla film proper in a little while. Did they say who was doing the atomic test? Was it the Japanese or were they blaming it on the Americans? I can't remember. They, I, I don't really think they ever put blame on anyone. They just said atomic testing. Okay. Or nuclear, okay. you know, atomic bomb tests. You know, they okay. just, he's radioactive. They theorized that he was living down in the trenches of the ocean and the, the testing brought him up. They never really put blame on who, who's, you know, they never really say who's to blame. They just said it's the atomic testing that drove them up to a surface. Okay. So they don't do any, I don't remember any real finger pointing. Okay. I couldn't remember that. I mean, I'd have to go back and rewatch it, which darn, I have to go watch Godzilla again. Uh, oh. I, have to go back. I know, right? My life is tough. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'd have to go back and rewatch it again to, to, to confirm. But either way, it doesn't matter. I mean, Godzilla's here now. we got to deal with the problem. Uh, you've mm-hmm. got some really good performances here, uh, some stories going on with Sirizawa and his betrothed, uh, whose name... Forgive me. Okay, thank you. I was going to say I'm going to be an ugly American here. I can't pronounce most of these names, so I oh, apologize sure. in advance here. Yeah. Uh, you've got the the storyline between him and his betrothed, but she's really got feelings for somebody else, and there's this love triangle kind of sort of thing going on. Matters are complicated because she's the daughter of the scientist who wants to save Godzilla and study from mm-hmm. him and learn how to survive atomic attacks and radiation and what can we learn from this beast? Let's not, let's not kill it. We don't want to mm-hmm. just kill it. We can learn from it, which for a movie from the 50s, I, I didn't expect to have empathy for Godzilla, which really comes out at the end of the film as well. You, know, you really feel bad because, I mean, he's not doing anything out of malice. He's just being Godzilla, doing what Godzilla does. That's true. That's true. So. But it's interesting because you see, you know, the scientist you were talking about wants to save Godzilla and learn from him. During the big stomping attack on Tokyo, there's a look on his face like, oh, maybe we shouldn't be trying to save this thing yeah. because yeah. he's watching, you know, this thing, you know, an entire city be level, you know, and it's like, maybe some things are best not studied. Right. You know, maybe we can't do that with this thing because I can't even imagine them trying to keep that thing. You know, that's the problem. You know, you don't want to, you know, I mean, it's doing what it's doing. It's not, doing anything really out of malice, but what do you do with it? It's not like you can cage it or control it. <laughs> Put it in a zoo somewhere, you know. That, that I've seen Jurassic Park. I know how it ends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that would be fun, except he, he's amphibious, so, you know, you really have a hard time keeping him on, on the island. Right. That's true. That's true. It's just a fascinating film to me. I mean, there's so much more going on here than just man in a rubber suit which the godzilla films quickly became that Mm -hmm. i mean it's a franchise we all know what godzilla is because there's been what 20 plus films over the years there's a new one coming oh yeah you know as much as we tried to kill the godzilla franchise with our remake in 1996 or 98 us americans go there okay sorry (laughs) that was so bad yeah yeah, but yeah so i mean godzilla's pop culture fixture mm-hmm. and spawned a whole it, subgenre of monster movies. And how long did it take for Godzilla to go from villain destroying everything to savior of the universe practically? Cause for, I, for a while, Godzilla was the hero. 
Yeah, I think it started with Monster Zero, uh, or first film with Ghidorah, you know, the three-headed monster. Oh, King Ghidra? Yeah, yeah. It didn't take that long, did it? I mean, Ghidra, it, it, thank you, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it didn't King Ghidra, that's a, that's a film. Um, yeah. <laughs> which I love King Ghidra, but that, I don't like Caterpillar Mothra, but whatever. Uh, yeah, but, well, Mothra... Yeah, you know, I like that movie, but it's oh, just I do too. Like the big moth. <laughs> yeah, I, I yeah, but yeah, it didn't take long from Godzilla to go from monster to hero, and I, you know, I look at that, and then I look at say like the monster movies that I grew up with in the eighties, mm-hmm. and it only took a couple of films from Freddy Krueger to become, you know, villain to kind of the jokey hero of the Nightmare on Elm Street series, or That's even true. Jason Voorhees, you know, kind of went from, you know, bad guy to we vote for him. We root for mm-hmm. him, what he does. So, I don't know if there's a parallel there or if I'm reaching, but well, I think I think it became you know kind of a necessity because you know I mean you could have Godzilla continually stomping on the cities, which would get boring really fast. You know, if you've got four movies like that, it's like what again? But you start introducing other monsters for him to fight, and you kind of change the role because King Ghidorah was you know from you know, outer space. Now he's defending the earth. It's just, it almost kind of felt like a natural transition for it, you know, just, just to keep the monsters coming. So you keep things interesting. We have to change Godzilla's personality a little bit. He suddenly becomes the good guy. Maybe not willingly. If I remember right you now, I mean, it took Mothra championing, you know, <laughs> becoming the good guy to Godzilla, if I remember right. Yeah, in King Ghidra, Mothra goes to Godzilla and Rodan, and there's that, I, I believe it's even yeah. subtitled, they're kind of talking back and forth, come on, you gotta help out. No, I don't want, it's just... <laughs> it, it was, yeah, it was silly. But I love it. I mean, I you know, we're laughing, and we're, I don't want people to think we're belittling these films. Oh, I no, absolutely no, 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 love them. No, 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 I mean... No, not belittling, but no. you know, I mean, they became a a little more lighthearted, much more lighthearted, right? Than the original, you know. But once again, I think it was necessity. You just can't have you know a monster stomping over something over and over again without changing things up and keeping the audience interested. I could watch a monster stomping flat over and over oh, again, but too. but you're absolutely right. <laughs> you know, there's only so many ways you can destroy Tokyo. That's that's true. That's true. You know, and and keep it, you know, making money from the mainstream. And I think that's a big part of it as well. Is you know, I think the oh, kids definitely. kind of flock toward Godzilla, so they had to kind of lighten him up a little bit. I mean, I don't, do, mm-hmm. we don't even want to talk about Son of Godzilla. So, you know, I mean, uh-huh. you really, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that one got that. Oh. Yeah, that was running into Gamera territory. Oh, Gamera. Oh, yeah. See, I can't think of Gamera without thinking of Mystery Science Theater 3000. That's where I first discovered Gamera. And then oh. when I think of that, I think of their Gamera theme song, where Gamera oh, yes. is full of meat. Gamera is really neat. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I did I did see two of the Gamera movies, you know, the uncut Japanese versions, and it's just like, yeah, these are aimed at kids. Oh, no way around that. Totally oh, yeah. aimed at kids. Although they're much gorier than you would expect for a kids movie, but that's uh, that's just how it is over in Japan, I guess. Yeah, because yeah. they have the monster with a knife on its head slicing up another monster, literally slicing on screen, Definitely. and you're just like, mm, wow. So different different standards, different expectations, perhaps. Mm-hmm, I think so, and and I mean, it wasn't done gory; it was all cartoonish. You know, I mean, it really didn't look real, but you know, it's still there. 
Anyway, we're off on a tangent. I'm sorry, yeah, I drove no, us there. No, no, no. I'm I'm having fun just kind of riffing about these movies, man. That's fine, you know. All right, make sure you come back in two days for part two of our discussion about Godzilla and other things kaiju with Chris McMillan. He's going to talk a little bit about King Kong versus Godzilla. We even touch on Gamera a little bit. If we didn't already do so, we will be getting to that. We're going to be talking about all things Godzilla. I mentioned a podcast during our discussion. It's called the Kaiju Cast. This is the best website you're going to find that talks about these kaiju films. You can find that at kaijucast.com. What the heck? Link in the show notes over at monsterkidradio.net. Also on our website is our contact information. You can email me at monsterkidradio at gmail.com or leave me a voicemail for the show at 503-4795-MKR. If you have any thoughts about Godzilla or anything else that we've talked about here on the show or have a topic or two you'd like to suggest that we talk about here on Monster Kid Radio, let me know. This is the last week that you can enter for the contest for the Matango Mini Bust by sculptor and Monster Kid Radio guest Tom Beagler. It's an amazing piece of artwork, and I kind of regret sharing this with everybody because I kind of like to keep it for myself. But no, I'm going to give you a chance to win. Here's how you enter to win the contest for the Matango Mini Bust. Now, Tom and I talked about Matango earlier this month in episodes 23 and 24, and he created this awesome little mini bust in 24 hours and wants to give it away to a listener of Monster Kid Radio. Here's how you enter. Matango is about killer mushrooms, basically. Well, there are some other evil veggies out there, I'm sure. All you have to do is email me at monsterkidradio at gmail.com, your name, your mailing address, and then the name of another killer vegetable movie. You get to make it up, okay? Make up the name of a killer vegetable movie. Maybe give me a sentence or two about what it's about. I'll throw your name into the drawing, and I'm going to say August 31st is the cutoff. So the end of this month, you got to get that email to me, and then in September, we'll announce the winner. Now, Tom's going to come back on the show down the line, and we've talked about maybe doing some other contests with him and his artwork, so stay tuned for that. And stay tuned for part two of our Godzilla discussion in two days here on Monster Kid Radio. Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivations, 3.0 unported license. Of course, that does not extend to the song Son of Daikaiju from the album Daikaiju. It appears by permission of the band Daikaiju. Talk to you in a couple of days. (laughs) 